Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. I am absolutely delighted today to have Stephen Halpern joining us, the number one best-selling composer, recording artist, and researcher. He's considered the founding father of modern sound healing, whose music relaxes your body, quiets your mind, and soothes your soul. He's been doing pioneering work in the area of sound healing and the sound healing genre for 37 years. And his work is based on the principles of resonance, natural brainwave entrainment, and the power of positive intention. He has many different applications for relaxation and music and making sure that music is beautiful and there's different functional uses for music and sound. It is my great pleasure to welcome Stephen Halpern to its rainmaking time. Welcome, Master. Oh, great. Thank you. <laughs> I heard about you many, many years ago as I was laying on a rolfing table in San Francisco at Dublee's practice. And that is when I found out about Stephen Halpern with this absolutely the most relaxing, expansive, soothing, gorgeous music I'd ever heard in my life. I never even knew that there was something having to do with sound that could actually heal you. But that was many, many years ago. So you've been around a long time doing what you're doing, and now you have all these other applications. It's very exciting. Great, and we'll certainly get in, into that. I would, uh, number one, I want to acknowledge you for tuning in and your, your Rolfer for having that kind of music there, uh, because that's that's a deep or often painful kind of uh uh, massage or muscular uh, physical therapy, etc. And uh, I've I've had some uh, sessions with massage uh, with with Ralph was also back in the early 70s when his uh, profession was was new. And uh, I wish I had music like this because when you, <laughs> because when I was going through some of that pain, what what we know is that relaxation has so many benefits when you allow your body to get into a truly relaxed state, you uh, engage its own healing mechanism. So you work with the body. What I experienced back in 1970 was my body would tense up and I'd make it because I couldn't relax with some of the painful things. I made it made it harder for the Rolfer to do his work. And back that was one of the reasons I started to record my music as soon as that was available because I couldn't play the music and get roughed or massaged at the same time. That was literally one of the reasons why <laughs> it was important to me to start recording so that I'd have something to listen to when I was getting a massage or doing some other things. I have to tell you that when on your website you write that a lot of your work has to do with principles of resonance. I want yeah. you to talk about that. And I also want to talk about subliminal recordings at some point in our talk today. Okay. I want to go through the theta level and alpha level and really tease that out for the audience because you're hitting all of these important areas. Please go ahead and talk about how your music and how your sound is dealing with or expressing something in the area of resonance. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll define these terms and, and give you some examples because... In school or in real life, adult life, unless you've taken some workshops, read some books or some articles written by me or people have come after I started, uh, these are the sort of things that we never get taught. Some of the most important things about music, uh, we certainly, 
I never got taught in school, and that's when we had a music program, which have been pretty much uh, uh, lost to the budget cuts. So the first thing, when we talk about concepts of resonance and entrainment, there are two related concepts. One is more passive and one is active, but they relate to laws of physics and not just music. So here's an example. Uh, when we deal with resonance, one of the things we learn from science is that every atom and molecule has a particular frequency. So that means that every uh, atom and molecule and organ in our body has a particular frequency. When I play music, uh, when anyone plays music, the lower sounds will resonate at the lower part of the body, the higher sounds at the higher part of the body up in the head area. But within that range, the different organs have characteristic keynotes. My first recording really focused in on that aspect and took it to another level by saying, we're not just talking about organs like spleen or liver. And you think uh, for a moment, Kim, about um, diseases of the liver would be yellow jaundice. And that's just in the area that scientists who were around long before I was uh, noted that diseases of the liver would manifest at a particular keynote and a particular color. And it's as if we have a rainbow in our body starting at the base of the spine with the color red moving on up through the, through the spectrum. Well, in sound, even though we can't see the sound, we could feel sound if we start paying attention. So that's resonance. And, and when you listen to a bass bass guitar or a low drum, you could feel that in a lower part of your body. You don't feel that in your head as opposed to a flute or a violin playing a high note. On a piano, of course, there's low and high, so it's too simplistic as some of the other authors talk about that uh, a certain instrument is only one area of the body because there are ranges of the instruments. But more interesting than that is this concept of entrainment. Our bodies automatically uh, are manipulated to synchronize an external rhythm, whether it be music, uh, 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 a rhythm on a steam radiator, the beat of something, and even if I'm just snapping my fingers, very quickly your heartbeat will adjust and synchronize with this. Well, before I give an example of the um, these two concepts, let me just sing a little pattern that all of us are familiar with to show you how automatic these aspects are. So if I were to sing a phrase that's well known as a musical scale, I'd like you, Kim, to feel what's happening in your brain and feel what's happening in your chest with your breathing. So if I sing the do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, and I stop, I bet you're holding your breath. Yeah, I was. Yes. <laughs> and I'll finish it now. Do. That's my famous scaleless interruptus. <laughs> now, why did I hold my breath? Exactly. Because of the third factor of what we call pattern recognition or the fact that we've been culturally conditioned to be aware of 
progressions and patterns in sound of the... So we know where music is going to go. There's what, what is called the anticipation factor, which is pleasurable in many respects and wonderful. And I was... And, and I'm certainly a fan of that in certain contexts. But when it comes to healing, or particularly into evoking relaxation, what I discovered is all those times when I was anticipating where the music was going, I could not relax. And at first, people said, oh, you're just strange. It's just you. And I said, no, no, pay attention to your own breathing. Your body will tell you. And people said, oh, yeah. I felt that, but I never, I never thought about it. I didn't consider it important. And I was the guy back in the 70s that, as a matter of fact, that is crucially important. It's not that we have to say other music is wrong or bad. It's just that if you're trying to relax, trying to relax listening to music that sets you up with this anticipation factor, this uh, future that, that you're projecting into the future, you don't recognize that uh, the truth is that relaxation can only happen in the present moment. So listening to this other kind of regular traditional music, whether it's classical or rock or jazz or blues, is like listening to audio caffeine. If you're trying to relax to that music, you're pretty much guaranteed to fail. And it's like drinking three cups of coffee before you go to sleep. You're not going to get to sleep with that much caffeine going through your body. But people don't think about that because no one was talking about audio caffeine in the genre of sound healing. No one was bringing some of these very obvious perceptions. And one of the reasons was is because, as I was told back in the day, nice people don't talk about those things. Well, I'm here to say that nice people do talk about those things. John Bradshaw made codependence a, uh, a term that many people became aware of in the uh, mid-1980s up to the uh, mid-90s. And uh, I always found it very uh, easy to share what was going on with me, particularly if it was making me uncomfortable. And one of the reasons I got into doing research was to find out, well, is there something really strange about me? Or is this something that everyone is going through, but people just ignore it or weren't even aware of the signals and the communications and the feedback that they were getting from their bodies? And after 37 years of doing workshops around the country and some around the world, I could tell you that everybody's body goes through the same things. And as we raise our awareness, we are able to make the healthiest choices for ourselves. And it's whether we call it, you know, greening our own response and taking responsibility for that or whatever words we use, the, the reality is you don't have to take my word for it. You can prove these things for yourself. When it comes to uh, resonance, there are aspects of tone that you may love somebody's voice, and many singers have this, and that's why we love people like Whitney Houston, because the quality of her voice was so universal, and it struck such a resonant, there's that word again, chord in us. And there are some other people that we just don't like their voice. We might recognize they're a great singer or a great guitar player, a great musician, but we don't like the sound. So there's that aspect of resonance. 
And when we deal with entrainment, again, uh, using fast music to try to relax is a no-brainer because it's guaranteed to fail. Relaxation, Kim, is basically where the heartbeat is 60 beats per minute or less. And most music is at 80 beats per minute and faster, up to 120, 140. Now some some of the uh, newer music is up to 180 beats per minute. I mean, that could almost give people my age a heart attack. <laughs> uh, so we have to understand that the the speed has an effect and the actual way that the rhythm is organized, which is uh, another whole aspect, uh, can actually stress the body. And so many of the diseases that we deal with nowadays are related to stress. So th- those are three three big factors. And the other one is a little harder to demonstrate, but the reality is that the intention and the state of being of the musician, whether he or she is giving a concert, a recital, or making a recording, gets transmitted and radiated to the audience in live concerts as well as it gets recorded onto the recording medium and you will pick up on that whether it's on LP or analog cassette or digital compact disc. Somehow that subtle energy field is transmitted and recorded and you pick up on it. And that's why when I would listen to some very well-performed classical compositions and other kinds of music, even though they sounded great, I would feel wiped out at the end. And I said, well, why is this? And then um, while I was noticing that, Dr. John Diamond, who wrote the book uh, Your Body Doesn't Lie, wrote this book in the mid-1970s that showed through applied kinesiology and muscle testing that the ego... And the fear that many people have when they are performing or recording is also transmitted and radiated to the audience. So these are some of the key factors that need to be uh, looked at and, and paid attention to in choosing the music that you want to use for your own healing and relaxation. In fact, my very first a series of research studies involving basically lie detector technology and brainwave analysis and uh, technology to photograph the aura, what was called Curlian photography, we had people who would jump up and down telling us how relaxed they felt listening to a certain piece of music, but their bodies were not in a relaxation mode at all. And what that showed me is that a lot of people are just not in touch with what's going on in their body, and they don't even know what relaxation feels like. So fascinating, all of it, and the synthesis that you're communicating. It's clear to me that all sound, whether it's sound or music, all of it actually affects our hormones, our cortisol levels, and our biochemistry directly. And breathing, obviously, and heartbeat. I mean, that's really remarkable. You're also communicating that, when a musician makes any type of recording, wherever they're at at the time of the recording, whatever's going on with them is being imprinted in the master recording. 
and that we as listeners, as recipients of that, are picking up what also was there bioenergetically. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Some people may say, oh, God, that's a little way out there. How well, do we know that as part of science, that bioenergetic transfer that you're referring to? There's a whole new range of science that's been around for 30 years or more uh, called subtle energy science, subtle energy physics, subtle energy medicine as part of quantum physics. And there are new technologies, new measurement devices that are measuring and proving this. The uh, book that came out a couple years ago by Lynn McTaggart called The Field really uh, brought a lot of the research out of academia or out of certain circles into the public. The problem is, in fact, uh, a lot of this is not in academia because there's a lot of scientists who are so locked into their way of belief and they believe that their belief is fact. There's a lot of people that mistake belief and opinion for fact. Yeah. And uh, in the same way that when Galileo first brought his telescope out and said, hey, look, there are moons around Jupiter, people say, you're a heretic, you're, you are uh, violating the religious doctrine of the day. And he said, well, I'm just looking at what's there. I have better eyes because I have a telescope in the same way that if you take a microscope, you can see things swimming around in a drop of pond water that you may not see with your naked eye. Well, uh, this whole new field of subtle energy physics is well established, but there's a lot of people that don't want you to know about that in the same way that there's a lot of people that don't want you to know about the healing powers of music because stress is related to so many diseases and problems we face, whether it's uh, problems sleeping or having a headache. If you could reduce uh, your stress, you may have less problems with headaches or less problems falling asleep. Well, Kim, guess who wouldn't want you to know that? It's called the pharmaceutical industry, who makes billions and billions of dollars from selling you pills from something that you might be able to use uh, some music or do some things for yourself. And for the price of one bottle of uh, aspirin or something, one bottle of sleep medication, you have a soundtrack that could last the rest of your life. Well, they look at that as a threat. And I used to joke about that until somebody came up to me at one of my workshops about 20 years ago and said, you are on our radar. Really? Yes. And I said, well, maybe that's why these newspapers won't write articles about what I'm doing because all these other pharmaceutical companies advertise there. And you better believe, and it's not just me, that uh, advertisers can, and have, have done this, of course, in many cases, talk to media, talk to TV or radio. They pull their ads, yes. Right, we will pull our ads if you write that story. Talking about broadcasting, there's a lot of things that even Oprah will not have on as advertisers because a whole other genre of advertisers is supporting the new network. Until people provision something different, it will be industry-based programming, and they will decide what's allowed and not allowed. That is so true. People blame Oprah for not having some of the further out stuff on, and I think you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's not Oprah. It's the advertisers. If she does that, they pull, and she needs advertisers. And this was on her uh, before her, her new network, her own network, uh, so there are so many things that we don't know. If, if we knew the, the truth behind some of these things or the truth behind 
some of the stories you do see, right. such as the Mozart effect or some of the uh, things uh, and the articles that I've seen talking about the, uh, the benefits of classical music, well, guess what? A lot of those are paid for by some of the classical record labels that give, uh, and, and I know because I was at some of the conferences where they admitted this, and we actually saw one of the labels give a $50,000 check to the Music Therapy Association, and next month I saw a big article featuring the music of that label, and I go, well, there's no secret here, is there? But unless you were at that conference, you wouldn't have seen just the upfront, I don't want to call it bribery, but... Uh, if you have the gold, it's a golden rule. If you have the gold and you pay for it, you get the rules. You make the rules. I'll say one more thing about the Oprah scenario that's a little bit different than what we're talking about, which is that the distinction between Oprah's unique position and any other potential broadcaster with a new network mm-hmm. is that in all reality, she doesn't even need the advertisers. If she uh. was willing to actually provision for a whole new genre of advertising, she actually doesn't need the money. And she could begin a totally new organism of advertising where it is not the advertisers telling the broadcast owner what can and cannot be communicated. She's over a billion dollars. So I'm very clear that her particular position is quite distinct. She really can do it differently. But that part of her particular business, and I applaud her for what she's doing, hasn't been provisioned yet in this other way. And there's other things that have to be provisioned for her. She would have to have an agreement with Discovery and the other people that she has already signed on with that we're going to go a different path of advertising and we're going to go a different model of advertising. And unless she had the same commitment for that parallel path, all that's going to happen is there'll be a programming difference. But there will not be a quantum difference in the state change of the organism called her network. Speaking of frequency, (laughs) but I want to go back to, you said ordinary waking consciousness is in what's called the beta realm of 13 to 39 cycles per second. second. Explain what that is and then talk about what the subconscious is. Okay. Uh, Our brain pulses at certain electrical uh, cycles per, that are measured in cycles per second, certain frequencies. Uh, we, our nervous system is electrical in nature. That's why a taser and the electric chair uh, can kill us because they disrupt and, and, and uh, disturb that, that uh, sequence in firing. Well, in the mode that we're dealing with now, which is how we go through our regular days, the brain has been measured at pulsing at between 13 and 39 cycles per second, basically. When you slow down the brain waves between 8 and 12 cycles per second, that is called the alpha brainwave range. And there are, uh, whereas the beta range is more uh, thinking and speaking and uh, analytical, the alpha range is more dealing with wholeness and relaxation, feelings of peace, and particularly when we get down about eight cycles per second to deep alpha, we literally entrain to the fundamental frequency of our planet itself. The Earth basically pulsates about eight cycles per second. Now, our brain has been measured as moving slower, 
between four and seven cycles per second. That's called theta, and that's been associated with uh, deeper healing, deeper meditation, uh, uh, flowing of creativity, and uh, a number of other things. And then much less research done between one and three cycles per second, what's called delta. Generally, that's related uh, to areas of sleep. Our brain is pulsing very slowly when we're at uh, asleep, and that's that's the general overview of that. Now, you also had about asked about subconscious and conscious. Our conscious mind is thinking, and it's what we're using to speak right now. The people that have measured this have told us for decades that we only use 5 or 10% of our brain. And the question is, well, what's going on with the rest of that 85 or 90%? And whether it's Carl Jung talking about our unconscious, there's, there's obviously stuff going on. Well, part of what's going on in the subconscious, which is also sometimes called un- unconscious, subconscious, I won't get into that discussion right now, but it's where we're not aware of things. But for instance, your subconscious or your unconscious, when you're driving, or even when you're walking, you're not thinking about putting one foot in front of the other. When you tie your shoe, you're not thinking about, okay, now I have to take this finger and turn it over this one. These things become automatic. When you are breathing, you don't think, I need to expand my lungs right now. Your body does this automatically. That's part of the unconscious uh, nervous system. But when it comes to the subconscious, these are things that are below the awareness. awareness so that if for instance, a dog is barking and you start freaking out, there may be nothing rational about that, but in your far back memory, maybe you were bit when you were a kid by a dog that was you know, barking first, and that's triggered. Or, as is true with many people, a lot of our life beliefs, our programs, were programmed by our parents when we were kids, by our teachers and friends. And most of that, which is the opposite of positive affirmations, were negative affirmations. Things like, well, you're not pretty enough, or you'll never amount to anything. You can't do that. Oh, well, let me help you. You're not able to do that. Uh, And I know certainly my parents said things like that to me. And at a certain point, we're not aware, and we forget that someone said that to us. We just have that belief about ourselves. Oh, I can't learn this. Uh, or this is too hard, or um, uh, I'm not able to lose weight. So, You know how you talked about ordinary waking consciousness, or beta, is between 13 and 39 cycles per second. Does the subconscious have a cycle per second? That's a good question. I don't don't have an easy answer for that. Okay. uh, Because some of that will be uh, off the top of my head. Uh, It's operating simultaneously, so I, I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on, on that one. But what is important is that while consciously, for, and, and this is, and you asked earlier about why some of the recordings that I have are part of my subliminal uh, self-health yes. program. And that is because if you want to make a change, a positive change in your life, to change a habit, uh, you can't just... Uh, say, I'm going, going to change, well, 
the people that have studied this say that change happens at a subconscious level. You can replace a bad habit with a good one, but it doesn't necessarily get rid of the old one. It just fades away as you continue to use a new one. But let's say it's with a uh, uh, someone who's in school and is having a problem learning. If you tell that person, you can read, you're able to remember everything that you're reading, you are a good student, their conscious mind goes, well, no, I got a D on my last test. I'm not a good student. They are consciously resisting that affirmation. But if we sneak that affirmation in subliminally below the threshold of conscious awareness, uh, let's say we have what you hear is the music and the affirmations come in uh, virtually uh, silently. How is that possible on an audio level? Yes. Well, I'll tell you. Okay. In the same way that it's possible visual. Our brain and our mind is an incredible instrument. It is constantly searching for new and uh, unique input. And something that we may not be consciously aware of, some of the receptors perceive that. And when that for instance, a subliminal affirmation comes in as you learn easily. You enjoy learning easily. Learning comes easily to you. You are a good student. That goes directly into the subconscious mind. It doesn't get hit with that conscious mind resistance. Well, the, uh, the person who really put subliminal advertising on the map was a man called uh, Wilson Brian T who in 1973 or so wrote a book called Subliminal Seduction. He used to work in the uh, advertising uh, world and particularly was working with liquor ads. And I can tell you to this day, if you take a look at virtually any liquor ad, they're usually the easiest ones to spot. And if you look at the ice cubes and if you look at uh, some of the things, you will see typically some somewhat distorted skull and crossbones. You will see bats. You will see uh, certainly parts of people engaged in sexual activities. You will see parts of anatomy. And you will go, I can't believe that. But if you just look at that for a split second, which is how we're mostly looking at advertising in a magazine, and then we go on to the next page, that still is enough time for that to register. Well, in the same way in sound, that can still register into your subconscious mind. Advertisers wouldn't have been using subliminal advertising if it weren't as effective as it is. And I think it was a year or two ago, one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Eldon Taylor, published a book, I think the book was called Mind Programming, but in there he actually included some pages from the instruction manual that an insider leaked him from one of the advertising companies that taught people how to do this, and they show you exactly how they airbrush or manipulate ice cubes and work with the artwork to do uh, and, and to get people to respond the way that they want to. And because we don't listen to something, I mean, certainly if I, one of the ways I got into this is I found myself staring at a Southern Comfort liquor ad. <laughs> I remember the house that I was living in, 1976, 
And I say, I don't drink liquor. Why am I looking at this? And as I was staring at it, after about three or four minutes, I go, oh, my gosh. And then I saw a woman doing something very unusual that was basically part of a profile of a woman doing something to something that was coming out of the uh, Southern Comfort uh, whiskey bottle. And it was a part of a male anatomy. And the implication was, if you drink this liquor, you will have sex tonight, guys. And I go, well, look at that. And I don't even drink. And I was going to buy some liquor. And and that's when I started doing more research on this and found out that that's exactly what was going on. But most people would just turn the page, and if and they wouldn't even realize that they were getting turned on by this. In the same way with sound and subliminals that might be in movies, I've trained myself to raise my sensitivity so that I could often know when there's something going on. I may not be able to see it, but I could feel something that, wait a minute, a minute ago I was feeling nice and balanced, and now I'm feeling something different. Something was probably just done to me subliminally, and then I go back and slow things down when possible, and that's how I will know. Even in the uh, uh, presidential campaign in the year 2000, George Bush's campaign was busted for having some subliminal advertising, one of the TV ads. And they got away with it by, by having George say, oh, subliminable, mispronouncing it on purpose. I can't even pronounce it. We wouldn't do such a thing. And none of the media said, wait a minute, we see it right here. They just let it pass. Uh, people think that subliminal uh, ads in movie theaters like the ones that back in the 50s that said uh, drink Coke and buy popcorn uh, were outlawed. They never were outlawed. There was some legislation brought up in state legislatures and maybe in the national uh, in, in Congress, but never went anywhere. So it's not technically illegal to do that, and everybody just denies that they're doing it, and they get away with it. On one hand, in the visual realm, I can see what you're talking about. It's more noticeable as a reality manipulation that's going on. But in the area of bioenergetics, the intent or the feeling tone of a musician goes on the recording. If people don't accept that frame of reference, then it's hard to really take that in, that it can happen in terms of an audio signature of subliminal recordings. The visual's obvious, but the audio's invisible, right? Right. Seemingly. How do you do the subliminal recordings? Do you speak into something? Do you whisper into something? Very good question. Uh it's important, in my experience, and, and there, there are some different authorities that uh, agree on a lot of things, and some of us disagree on certain things, but the reality is, and certainly for me, I speak in a normal voice in a recording studio, and then because we have the music and the voice on separate tracks, then we just bring the meter down and lower the volume of the voice till you basically can't hear it, and it's camouflaged and masked inside the music. It becomes just part of the music. Now, uh, even when you don't hear it, it can still have an effect. Uh, some years ago, in fact, I'm, it was 1983, I think, I was working, and my regular engineer was sick, so they gave me a substitute engineer, and I was working on a project one tape to go to sleep and one to wake up. And the engineer just said, subliminal tape, 
subliminal tape. And I, I came back and I said, wait a minute, well, which one is which? He says, I don't know. I said, tell you what, we're going to put you in the uh, control room and let you listen to one tape and we're going to see what happens. After the first 10 minutes, he was on his third cup of coffee. I realized that, and it was the same music, because this was also part of the research, how we could take the same music and change the outcome dramatically depending on what the affirmations were. And that's how we knew that he had been listening to the go-to-sleep one. And that's the same thing that happened uh, years later when I was doing another version of that, and it's the same problem or process <coughs> when I was working on my uh, brainwave entrainment called Sleepscape Delta, which was Delta range 1 to 3 cycles per second, my engineer and I were falling asleep in the studio. <laughs> and I, I, I rarely drink a cup of coffee, and if I do, one a day is it. I was on past my second cup. He was on his third cup, and I said, Warren, I've never seen you drink three cups of coffee. I've, we've been working together for 15 years. And he said, oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just feeling tired today. And I said, excuse me, what is the album we've been working on in the studio today? And his eyes got wide and said, oh, my gosh, it really works on us in the daytime. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I, I, when I left, I drove, I started getting on the road. I had to pull off the side of the road. It's not something that you want to play with. But when I go to sleep, it was one of the hardest albums I ever worked on because I kept falling asleep as I was trying to edit at home as I was oh going God. to sleep. That's so funny. I was asleep by song two or three. Now, that means that it really works. That's a good thing. I, I don't care if I hear the end of the album. I want to get to sleep. That's where the functional aspect of the music. You're not listening just for beautiful music, but you want the positive result that you're buying a certain title for. Now, most of my music, though, because I'm a musician first and foremost, if it's not beautiful, it's not something I want to listen to that I can't listen to, I'm not interested. I bought albums from many of the other companies on the market, uh, and I find, I'm amazed that some of them are as boring or as annoying and irritating, and it's worse when, when these are ones for sleep, because then I have to get up out of bed to eject the CD from the machine and uh, put another one in. And I, I did that until I got a multi-change it so I didn't have to get up. At I was going to say, maybe a Bose for you. Right, <laughs> and, and, which is what I got. <laughs> Me too. Incredible device. <laughs> but it was so useful because it really proved to me that a lot of people either don't care, don't notice, or... They're so afraid of returning. I, in other words, if, if I weren't uh, someone who gives workshops and I use these to, to make fun of and as examples of what doesn't work, I would have returned these and got my money back. But uh, they're, they're worth more to me to uh, use it as an example. And I say, how can anybody uh, fall asleep? Some of the brainwave albums I've heard sound like this. Well, yes, that'll probably affect your brainwaves, but it hurts my stomach even more, and I can't fall asleep. I can't relax when I'm hearing something like that. So I'm just amazed, but these people stay in business, so I have expanded my worldview to accept that there are different strokes for different folks, 
and and I know a lot of people just buy it and then uh, toss it in, in a heap and never listen to it again. And it caught nowadays it costs more in gas. You know, if you have to go back and return something, or if you use the mail, it costs almost as much as to buy. So you just chalk it up and you don't go back to that vendor. There's another part of the subliminal recordings I want to talk about with you, yeah. which is that because whatever you say in the affirmations that gets encoded on a lower level than the other sound or music and is then being projected, if you will, to the listener, it's very important that the trust factor and the integrity is there. You have to have a huge trust factor, which I know you do, but I'm saying I've seen some liminal tapes of people I would never buy anything from because I don't know what they're saying in there. I don't know what they're doing in there. I really don't. And I would concur with that. And I've heard on, uh, oh, he was famous back in the 80s, Barry uh, Konikov, who would do a, a hypnosis tape. And sometimes you would hear him say, now raise your right hand, I mean your left hand. And he would leave his mistakes in there. And I know because he told me he just uses the same soundtrack and he just lowers the volume to make his subliminals. So there was not a trust factor there. But with me, I also have the spiritual karmic factor and that I could not live with myself, uh, with myself if I knew that I was doing something like that. And because I listened to all my own productions, if it, uh, if it had a mistake, if it had something like that, it wouldn't work for me. And uh, many of the reasons I do some of the recordings I do are because I need to work on things like that, whether it's writing my book and needing to remember everything that I've been studying to drive better, to relax easier, to enhance self-healing. So there's all those factors. And, uh, and, and you're right, trust is very important. I notice you have, I still call it albums anyway, yeah. CDs and also MP3 downloads for accelerating learning, achieving your ideal weight. God, you have so many CDs. It's just well, you know, remarkable. Uh, us old timers have been out there for 35, 37 years. Yes. You do two a year, and I've done at least that many. Titles add up. But one of the things that keeps me going is the fact that when I go to the studio, the subliminals usually use existing music. But every year, but when I start a new project, I typically won't know what's going to happen. I go in as an open slate, uh, and I sit down at the piano, and I get inspired. And one of the things I started working with uh, a couple years ago was having read about uh, the theta brainwave state and enhancing creativity, I said, well, I've, I've added these frequencies and I've added alpha wave frequencies to music, but I've never listened to them as I have been recording. So I, make the, I, I get the sound set up in my headphones and I listen to that. And I got to tell you, uh, when I got down to one particular frequency for me, it was like opening the faucet on, uh, you know, in my sink. And uh, ideas and music was just pouring into my head. And I've got basically several different albums done and started in that session. And I've been working with that uh, ever since. And that, that is some of the new music that's featured on my deeper meditation and healing albums called 
uh, Deep Theta, the one that's coming out next month, which is called Deep Alpha. In fact, I'll have a preview up on my website probably in just a couple of days. And um, Paradigm Shift began at that point. So I am a living testament to the fact that this works. I started playing music that I had never played before. Uh, some things working with certain patterns where I would play three notes and I would hear another two minutes of music in the same way that Mozart described hearing a whole piece of music in a flash, in an instant. I said, well, this is magical. Mozart was obviously tapping into his deep theta state, and I uh, have gotten into that state sometimes in the past just uh, by chance or for other other uh, ways, but now I could almost dial in that frequency by using certain of the brainwave frequencies, and it's a delightful way. I've, I've enjoyed the last several years of uh, being in the recording studio as much as my, my first year. It's all new because I'm tapping into other levels, and I get to that space describe as the space between the notes, which is what Deepak Chopra calls the gap between thoughts. In that space, I'm not thinking. My analytical brain, my left brain, we were talking about before, the conscious mind yes. is shut off. I am open to receive. I'm open to receiving uh, information. And that's how I've uh, basically... Uh, done all my recordings, starting back with Chakra Suite, when it was uh, first done and first came out in Spectrum Suite, up through uh, Sound Healing and the Relaxation Suite, and so many of the other recordings, I get into the zone, and then the music flows through me, and happily, the music that pleases me and that I'd like to play pleases a lot of other people. And a lot of people can notice that it's my music from the first note. So it's not just me. First I thought it was just me. And now on cable and satellite uh, music channels, on my Comcast Xfinity, we have what's called uh, sound choices and soundscapes. And uh, I was coming out of the shower just yesterday, so I couldn't hear the music, but I could feel something different. And I turned off the shower, and sure enough, it was one of my albums. Isn't that great? I said, I couldn't even hear the music, but I could feel the energy. That's great. And, right, and that particular one was one I had done with a, an energy healer named Star Fuentes, so I know that there was a double dose of positive healing energy on that song, and it was just so strange. I mean, it was like something... So it was virtually subliminal, even though there were no subliminal affirmations on it, but the energy was what I felt first. And the sound of the way that I work with instruments is I will make the instrument sound a little different than virtually anybody else. And that's part of my secret. People try to copy it, but they can't get it exactly. And that is part of why they are so easy and so healing for the body to accept because my body is very sensitive and I don't want to be stuck by little pins or little needles I like, I'm a, I'm a smooth, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I want the smooth sound. I want to be relaxed into healing. I don't want to be hit over the head and, you know, forced into it. So, so that's, first and foremost, as a musician, it's the sound that leads me. And, and uh, uh, that's why I, I talk so much about 
my process being a co-composition or co-creation with uh, my higher self or the world of inspiration beyond the three, uh, beyond our physical plane. That's another whole topic for discussion. But I know that uh, the fact that I keep getting surprised in the studio keeps it uh, magical for me, keeps it alive, keeps it fresh, and uh, means that uh, I... I never run out of things to uh, to do. I couldn't tell you last year what my album was going to sound like this year, a year ago. But when I started playing the music, I said, oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. So it's not like you walk into the studio and say, okay, we need something for sleep. Or sometimes do you know? Well, with sleep, I knew that, particularly with the most recent album, I was going to add the brainwave entrainment related to brainwaves related to sleep in the Delta range. Now, I also have a new album called Your Best Music for Sleep that does not have the brainwave entrainment that I use many of the same songs. Uh, my feeling, and because some people say, I don't want any brainwave entrainment, just give me the relaxing music. And there, the fact that it's relaxing is good enough. Uh, but my choice, if uh, I had to choose which was more powerful, it is the Sleepscape Delta. But I got to tell you, there's a lot of people that are looking for sleep albums that did not get what that title meant. So the more obvious title, Your Best Music for Sleep, came up at a marketing conference I was at, and one of the uh, coaches said, well, I don't know what Sleepscape means. I don't know what Delta means. I don't know what Brainwaves mean. Is your album the best music for sleep? I said, yes. He said, that's your title. That's right. I go, how come I didn't think about that? Because you're in the trenches. <laughs> well, that, and I thought, well, you know, that's, that's, you know, maybe a little bit of an ego statement, but guess what? The music is the best music for sleep. I've listened to what else is on the market. And there are other people that say, say in fact, there are albums that have been out for years called the most relaxing classical music in the universe. And when I saw that, I had to laugh. I said, first of all, I know some of those songs. They're not relaxing at all. In fact, one is known as being a very depressing piece of music. But second of all, in the universe, hello. I mean, we do not know music <laughs> that's on other planets. Uh, that's a little over the top for me. You know your deep theta brainwave synchronization yes. for meditation and healing? I think Joseph McMonagle, who's one of the greatest remote viewers yes. of the remote viewing team, gets mm -hmm. into Delta in order to do remote viewing. And I would imagine, I'm not sure, I'll bet he listens to some of your music because he has such a soothing voice and he's one of the best. And the best remote viewers get into, I think, Theta and Delta, right? Yes, yes. And, and because they are active in Delta, that's different than us regular folks getting into Delta. I do know that Ingo Swan, who was one of his teachers, yes, uh, in 1977, contacted me, and this is when I was just starting out a couple of years, and he said, your music is the best in the field. I want to work with you on the soundtrack to my new motion picture that we're working on. That was from the top. He's an interesting guy. Very, very, very interesting <laughs> he guy. He taught so many of them, the mastery of remote viewing. I just did a piece with Russell Targ. Oh, yeah. And that was a joy. We did one last year, and we just did one again around his birthday. Ingo's still alive. I don't know for how much longer, but uh, he's yeah. still on the plane, on the earth plane. You say that one of your recordings connects in with the Schumann resonance. Now, well, many of them about, do, yes. Many of them do. Talk to the audience about the Schumann resonance okay. because 
some of the audience may think this is kind of airy fairy mumbo jumbo stuff, and it's not. And I want you to explain what it is. Right, and I, I, I apologize. I probably should have mentioned that earlier. In the uh, 1957-58 International Geophysical Year, scientists from around the world started studying our planet more, and they found out that there's a fundamental resonance that our planet has. It's almost like it's a, a, a brainwave, and they can be measured in, in, in several ways. The atmosphere uh, that we breathe that goes up, let's say, to about 100 miles beyond what we can breathe, where there's a reflective layer in the ionosphere that made uh, telecommunications possible before satellites, this whole atmosphere, this whole soup, is pulsed all the time by uh, lightning, by thunder, by many of the things that are going on in the weather. But the whole basic atmosphere was measured to pulsate about 7.83 to 8 cycles per second. Now, scientists also studied brain waves, and they found that when we get deeply relaxed, we are down about 7.83 to 8 cycles per second. People like Dr. Schumann, who was given the honor of having his name called the Schumann Resonance, so, well, isn't this interesting that our brain waves are at the same frequency as the Earth itself? And people say, well, actually, it's not a mystery. Our own nervous system entrains, links up and synchronizes with the dominant, the huge uh, electromagnetic energy field of the Earth itself. And that's why the Schumann resonance, when you get into a deeply relaxed state, whether it's through prayer, through yoga, through meditation, through eating a big meal. I mean, there's a lot of different ways, different <laughs> kinds of sex. Uh, when you get into uh, by watching a sunset, by sitting by a, uh, a lake or uh, by the ocean on a quiet day, our, our bodies naturally shift into what is called the Schumann resonance. And from science, we know that when you get close to that frequency, it makes it easier for us to synchronize with the Schumann resonance of the Earth itself. And uh, that's why we feel so good when we get out in nature, away from cities. And I was saying back in the early 70s when I was hearing about this, well, you know, for those of us who can't take a vacation every day, who don't live by the ocean or by a lake, how can we artificially uh, assist ourselves in reestablishing that equilibrium, that balance? And it turns out it's very simple because the various practices, whether, again, yoga, qigong, tai chi, many of the things that we do and that have been uh, traditional spiritual uh, exercises or spiritually oriented exercises and that trigger the relaxation response, great researchers and pioneers like Dr. Herbert Benson, who wrote the book called The Relaxation Response, and Dr. Itzhak Bentoff, who uh, I worked with, measured our, the vibrations of our body. And they found that it's the same frequency. This is not an accident. And that's why some of them would say things like, all life forms on Earth are electromagnetically connected and attuned to the electromagnetic field of the Earth. This is what supports us. So it's not surprising. Now, through my music, which uh, evokes a deep, natural relaxation state, whether we call it uh, 
simply the relaxation response or go further and say this is music that will get you into the resonant field and the resonant frequency that will allow you to link up to the Schumann resonance, a lot of people's eyes would glaze over when I was writing that in 1975. So I would just leave out some of the science and then just talk about the relaxation state. But that is why when you get deeply relaxed, it doesn't matter how you get there on one level. It matters that you do get there and that you build in some moments of relaxation into your daily life because that is one of the ways to maintain health, to support your body's immune system, and really to enhance and maintain a higher level of health and well-being. And that's what all my music does. That's what I came online doing in 1975 when no one else was talking about that. And I got to tell you, it was you know dealing with a lot of the reviewers and the media saying, no, oh, what are you talking about? Health from music? Come on. Music's about entertainment. Well, go back thousands of years, music was about healing. You know, it's only been the last 500 years that music really shifted into entertainment. So I trace my history and my lineage back to Pythagoras in ancient Greece, to the ancient healers in China and Egypt. And that is where the understanding comes that our bodies are instruments that if we get them into the proper tuning, they can heal themselves, and it may not even be important to say, well, does this song heal better than that song? The bottom line is, does this music assist you in healing yourself? Does it assist, maintain healing to happen? And that's really the bottom line, and if healing happens... I, I don't have a problem saying, well, it may be my music, my music is, is part of it, or it's just that the music gets you into the state where the body does what it knows how to do based on uh, DNA, etc. I am interested in outcome. I am interested in effect. And one of the reasons, quite frankly, is because I was told many, many years ago that if I didn't learn how to manage my own stress level, I was going to burn out before I was 50. And I had an interest in living beyond 50. So I started looking for ways that were legal, that were non-addictive, that were pleasurable to help me reduce my stress. And I'm going, wait a minute, music has been used for that. David was soothing Saul in the Bible. People have used this for thousands of years. Why isn't anyone doing it now? And the answer was, it was because uh, the music industry had no interest in that. I said, well, then I'm not going to be part of the music industry. I am part of the health and healing industry. Exactly. That, exactly. That's, that's, that's very, where I came online. Yeah. That's very astute because in this book called The Marketing Imagination, the author had given an example of how the railroads were asked what business they were yeah. in. And they thought of themselves to be in the railroad business. So when other means of transportation became available, they weren't ready or receptive to it. So they couldn't get on the wave, you see. Right. So exactly. the fact that you have that clear is really huge. I think your work, Stephen, is even more important than the world can comprehend. And that's not because I underestimate the world. It's just because the level of electromagnetic pollution, the level of microwave interference in our precious bodies is so profound that the average person cannot fathom between Wi-Fi, cell phones, cell towers, the grid itself, what's going on. Humanity has never 
seen, as far as I know. That's right. Has never seen this kind of violent attack on our bodies ever, ever, ever through the air. So I think because we know that sound and music heals and can elevate your immune system and can change your biochemistry in your brain, that your music now is centrally important. It's not even like an additional thing that we should have. It's like a central thing that we need for not only enhancement, health and wellness, but for protection. Yes. It's not a peripheral thing. It's a central core thing that's needed now. Absolutely. In fact, uh, it was a little over a year ago that um, smart meters came to my neighborhood. So that, that uh, for people that haven't experienced that yet, that's where the utility company changes out the analog electrical meter uh, for a digital one. Then instead of just uh, measuring the electricity, transmits your electrical usage uh, in bursts of uh, radio frequency transmissions 24-7. Right through your home. Right through the home. So it affects your wiring, affects your body. And when I didn't know that they had come to my neighborhood yet, I read the article in the paper and said, well, at least they're not around here yet. And I, but I started noticing I was having problems sleeping, which is why I started working on the Sleepscape Delta. And I was having problems thinking and uh, clearly. And even my eyesight was having a hard time focusing. I started reading up on the symptoms. I went, holy mackerel. I am one of these people who is electrically sensitive more than a lot of others, maybe 10 or 20% of people of the population are that way. And uh, it became, I, I became one of the uh, people uh, opposing the uh, uh, onslaught. And it sounds like you are certainly familiar with it. I'm very much supporting a big team in this world right now right. in the United States to give Americans, as this is the blueprint for the world, give Americans the choice and opt-out opportunity. But I want to tell you, it is the most insidious, virulent thing that's going on deep on the inside of it. It is unbelievable. And people have to stay vigilant. Don't give up and stand for having a choice about it and don't accept them. I don't know if you still have it. Do you? We just uh, up here got the opt-out. So I got them to remove the smart meter. But because a bunch of my neighbors still have them, I'm still affected. Sure. I've gotten other filters inside my house. It helps, but nothing is as good as it was two years ago. Right. And I also uh, fast-tracked a uh, an album called EMF Protection and uh, Smart Meter Protection. That's on my website. It's not available to the general public. It has uh, brainwave entrainment a little bit, but also has subliminal affirmations to support my body maintaining its electromagnetic integrity in the face of electromagnetic pollution. So uh, I, I find it helpful. I also find that it, uh, if I forget to play it, it doesn't work. Ta-da! So that's one of the important realizations that just having the music in your collection, if you don't listen to it, it won't work if it's just sitting on the shelf. So in fact, I was just playing it uh, the hour before uh, our talk today. Uh, and I go, hmm. Now, uh, without a lot of research, I can't uh, tell you uh, specifically how much better you can feel. But based on 37 years of success with activating the relaxation response 
at the very least, even if the affirmations don't work, you, you will get into a relaxed state, listen to this music, and guess what? Your body is a self-healing instrument. When you get into a relaxed state, one of the reasons relaxation makes us feel so good is our body rejuvenates itself, is able to use its own innate healing programs, its own innate intelligence, and it's able to use those energies most effectively when you're in a relaxed state. So on that basis alone, uh, virtually any of my albums will work, and I believe that uh, with the affirmations on that album, and people can find that at uh, stephenhalpern.com, S-T-E-V-E-N-H-A-L-P-E-R-N, and just uh, click on the uh, search by title for Smart Meter or EMF uh, Protection, and you will find that we have two different names and two different uh, pictures on the album cover, you can take your choice. It's the same, same music, whichever one you feel more comfortable with or that resonates with. Uh, uh, but with the uh, smart meter, when I have a picture of a smart meter with a big line through it, like in the non-smoking, uh, and you've probably seen those kind of uh, uh, flyers. By the way, your newsletter is really gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Gorgeous. Very bright and just beautiful. We try to do that. We you know, so, some people love to read and some people don't, so I try to not be too, too long-winded, but put it in a format that uh, keeps it interesting, but gets the, the essential information out there to get people to think. And then if they think, and then they, and here's the other key, if they start paying attention, Kim, that's where you don't have to take my word for it. You can start feeling these things and taking some steps because ultimately it's up to each and every one of us ourselves to band together uh to combat things like the uh, gridless uh, uh, and, and that grid wireless grid rollout and the smart meter rollout, this is untested technology in Europe, as you know. They're ripping it out now because they find out that it's harmful to people. And they're putting it in schools where kids oh are God. sitting there. Yes, like sitting ducks. It's terrible, unbelievable. Right, and and the research that I, I've read and, and heard about. Uh, where they could actually study the cancer rates of teachers as well as students is unbelievable. But guess what? That information gets suppressed or because of the advertising budgets of the large utility companies, they just uh, overwhelm the audience with positive stories about that technology. There's a huge lobby, too. Yes. Don't underestimate oh, yes. the lobby here. It's a huge lobby and. A lot of folks are paid off to yeah. say that there's nothing wrong and it doesn't hurt anything and everything's okay and to minimize it and trivialize it. Right. It's the same thing we saw with with the uh, tobacco executives. Exactly. All saying, mm, no, not tobacco is not addictive. And they all knew that it was. Even at that time, the research was clear, so they were lying to Congress. We're seeing the same thing now. The stakes are huge. Unbelievably yeah. huge. And many people will not know what just happened. That's right. They actually have the studies. I'm clear they're sitting on massive evidence that is not allowed to be brought to the public. The evidence is there. We don't need peer review studies for that. It's, you know, it's I, absurd. I think right. And in the same way that now some of the information is coming out about the Gulf oil spill, yes. that many of us, I mean, we just knew it intuitively that we are being lied to, that the BP was way underestimating the amount of uh, oil that was gushing out. And after I see all these ads saying everything is back to normal, folks, it's our best tourist season uh, ever in the Gulf Coast, suddenly 
the studies are coming out now that say, oh, no, that's not true. Look what, I mean, the whole... We, uh, the whole ecosystem is finished there. Oh, it, it's disastrous. So they showed one uh, just the other night, uh, a shrimp boat, 400 pounds of shrimp. They None of them had eyes. Well, guess what? I don't know if I want to eat shrimp that don't have eyes. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I don't know that I want to eat the shrimp personally. Exactly. But so, <laughs> on another note, I have a quick question. I know that Damien Brinkley used yes. a lot of your music in the VA hospice centers. Yes. And I wanted to know, is he still doing that? Oh, yes. Okay. He That's... goes quietly, but he is he's a nonstop worker. That's part of his life mission. Uh, and for him, when I met him, uh, he he recognized me first and picked me up in that big bear hug that he does and said, you're the man that saved my life. And I, I don't know who this guy is. He said, when I was hit by lightning and I was in the hospital, uh, they brought me your f- album, Spectrum Suite, which is what it was back oh, then. And great, I listened great. to it 24-7. And in fact, and this is one of the most amazing things, that when I was on the other side, said Danny and Brinkley, I heard music that sounded just like your album. <laughs> and that's why it. you had to get your album done so it would be available when I, you know, had my near-death experience. So that was, as far as I know, I haven't had a near-death experience like that. So that's not where I hear the music. But he's uh, well-documented, has had the experience, right. and credits that with being part of his uh, recovery process. And I am just delighted to have assisted him. And in fact, with the whole addiction field, John Bradshaw uh, and the whole recovery movement, Back in the uh, late 80s and 90s when I was working with John Bradshaw, I can't tell you how many people in the recovery movement uh, told me how beneficial my music was to helping them in their recovery because in the 11th step of the 12-step process, you have to make conscious contact with a higher power. And that is what I came to understand is another way of uh, describing what my music uh, allows people to do it. It helps them come into conscious contact where their brains are automatically resonating in deep alpha and in theta. And who just was using those words in his latest PBS special is Wayne, Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer, right. So I right. go, hmm, conscious contact. I know where that word comes from without saying anything about AA or the 12-step process. But, you know, so again, different words work for some people. Some people might might get turned off if he said that. I don't know Wayne's personal history with that, but I'm delighted that he's bringing that state-related experience to people, and they go, aha, that's what I'm feeling when I'm getting into that place, and it's a good thing. It's what all the, you know, the ancient religions talk about, be still and know. And early on, I understood that my music helps me be still, it helps other people be still, and that's that's the great blessing. You went to the pyramids, didn't you? I did. You played in the pyramids, didn't you? Yes. Uh, I had a chance to record. I was there in 1980 on a tour, and then I went back with a recording engineer. Uh, but inside the Great Pyramid, I wouldn't say I played. I chanted, because you, you, you take in your voice, and I was able to take in a flute. But I couldn't bring any keyboards. Number one, they weren't uh, transportable, and you couldn't hardly fit them in through the little passage where you have to uh, crawl through to get into the king's chamber. But talk about an amazing experience in a powerful room 
that was a life-changing moment. And that I have now the only recording available done inside the Great Pyramid on professional recording quality. And one of the things that I recorded, in addition to my voice chanting Om and some other sacred chants, was pure silence. So you could actually feel the sound pressure in the room with the special uh, sound pressure microphones, pressure-sensitive microphones we were using. And I got to tell you that my, uh, my business manager at the time, when I came back, said, you spent $10,000 going to Egypt and you recorded nothing? <laughs> and I said, no, no, no. I recorded chants and I recorded silence. Uh, and you are fired. Because he, he, <laughs> he did not get it. But uh, meditators could put on headphones and it's the next best thing to being inside the pyramid. In fact, now... I want people to know what the name of it is so they can yeah. buy it. It is called Initiation Inside the Great Pyramid. Uh, poor, uh, and um, my website has it. It, it's, it may still be available at Amazon and uh, iTunes and some others. But uh, as far as I know, no one else is now allowed to go inside the Great Pyramid and, and uh, record, uh, particularly since the revolution last year. But um, and the, the Arab Spring, as the uh, Muslim Brotherhood gets to be more empowered, what I'm hearing from some of the tour leaders is they can't get access anymore to some of those sacred sites. So my recording may be the last recording, and certainly the best, because um, no one else recorded on that level in, in that context as a spiritual meditation, as a healing, as a document. And it was it was just a magical uh, time. I'm sure. I didn't want to let you go away from this conversation <laughs> without talking about that. That's like the cherry on top, Stephen. Right. So it's not <laughs> musical. People say, well, why didn't you play piano inside this? It's because that's not what you do inside the Great Pyramid. Uh, I did, however, uh, at the concert as part of that tour, play at the sound and light show in front of the Sphinx, but that's, that wasn't recorded. That's another whole thing. And uh, uh, the important part is what was done inside the Great Pyramid. Well, I hope you do go back to Egypt one day. Uh, me too. I was, I was planning to. But, I'd like uh, you to do a concert there, maybe by the Sphinx. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what we've been talking about. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking with, learning from, and listening to Stephen Halpern. And you can buy his music and sound at innerpeacemusic.com or stephenhalpern.com. And I want to thank you for being with us today. And I hope you'll come back and join us again. David, it would be my pleasure. This was a delight. Absolutely. Blessings, everyone. Keep some great music in your life and stay tuned. Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> 